and welcome back to The Game is Afoot, Interview Edition. Should I, should I start calling it Interview Edition? I don't know. We'll come back to that. My name is Ryan. I use she, her pronouns, and I have with me Hector. I'm going to let Hector introduce himself with his pronouns, as well as the character he played in our game of masks and his character's pronouns. Ah, uh, yes. Hi. Um, my name is Hector. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Um, my character was Yuki uh, slash Winter, the magical girl, uh, and she uses she, her pronouns. Great. I am so glad to have you here with me again. Um, for listener benefit, normally I do the game and then the interview one after the other. But last weekend I had to run off to get ready for a memorial service and Hector was understanding enough to let us postpone the interview until a week later. So we're kind of starting fresh and we've both had some time to process what happened in the game session. Yes. Tell me about making Yuki. So, uh, there is a backstory with Yuki. So my friends and I, um, I, I have been working on, I have a discord, um, where we, I created called House of Dreams for the purpose of making games that aren't D&D, for playing games that aren't D&D, um, over the, the course of the, of the panorama <laughs> to cope. <laughs> So, um, Yuki originally was created for a Glitter Hearts campaign that somebody was going to run called, it was like Song Hero Supernova was what it was called. And we were, when we all did the pop stars, we all played pop stars, um, which is one of the, um, like character archetypes that you can play in Glitter Hearts. And, um, you know, and we did a session zero and we made these characters and, one of my friends was going to be running it um, instead of me because I usually end up running or facilitating everything. Uh, and I was really excited about it. And I made Yuki to be a part of that game. That was like months ago and we haven't even <laughs> done session one. So <laughs> when I heard, uh, when I reached out to you for this opportunity and then you told me about, oh, we're going to do masks, which I had just started reading and running, but we're going to do pop stars. I was like, oh. <gasps> Like, I had this character that, you know, this gothic Lolita, Lindsay Sterling-esque uh, concept already ready to go. It was just a matter of sitting down with the mask book, sitting down with my Glitter Hearts character sheet, and, and sort of, like, working it all out. And it was perfect, especially with those new house rules from, from Super Idols. Um, it was just destiny. It was then. destiny. You know, and, and total transparency, I told my friends, hey... I'm playing Yuki. I hope that's okay. And, you know, I got the blessing of my friend uh, who was going to run the game. And and then I got to bring Yuki to life. And I'm really happy about that. This Glitter art Hearts thing, um, is that available for public use? Yes. So it's done by Leatherman Games. Uh, it's available on itch.io. It's called Glitter Hearts. And it uses Powered by the Apocalypse. And it is focused on... Um, uh, the magical girls genre, but it is all inclusive. Um, it is for all people of all genders. It is cr written by a, a queer author, um, and it had a successful Kickstarter, and it has beautiful art, and uh, it's fantastic. Um, and I, I really, really like it. Ooh. Oh, are you looking at it on the internet? Um, so I just pulled it up. It's June right now, so by the time I post this, it might not be a bundle anymore but right now it's part of a $60 bundle for mm -hmm. it and 235 more queer games so I originally got Glitter Hearts last summer because I bought the uh, Black Lives Matter equality bundle um, which was mm. a thousand games um, oh. and it was one of the many games and that bundle was only $5 or it was a $5 minimum like people still donated more um, hmm. And that's how I uh, I had my I had my eye on Glitter Hearts for a long time, but um, I bought the bundle just to contribute to the cause. And then when I went through all of the games that I was getting, which took me the better part of an hour, it was there. So the the owner is always putting it in a bundle all the time. Oh, that's so cool! That's so exciting! I might have to buy this bundle. It's so funny to me that this already existed because Masks is also a Powered by the Apocalypse system. Mm -hmm. 
And then Aaron Cerise, in all of her loveliness, just said, here are some extra rules. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I I love Mass a lot. It's it's wonderful. I got into a great conversation, because I'm on the Discord for Possum Creek Games, so I get to talk to a lot of like queer indie writers, um, and that's uh, J Dragon's their uh, Discord, essentially. Them and, and Grub, their their um, creative partner um and we talked about like queerness and masks and how like masks itself isn't a queer game but it queerness can be projected onto it very easily and you know for example with like you know the super idol stuff is delightfully queer in that you know queer people love sailor moon uh, and Love Line. <laughs> um, uh, I liked how much it was like Love Line. I don't know how much how people are you familiar with Love Line? I'm not. So when you, if you can look it up, it's an anime. It's an idol anime. And is it on VRV? I, yes, it is. <gasps> it is on VRV. And if you kind of want, like, as soon as I saw the Super Idols rules and the world. I was, I, I truly, sincerely, I was like, it was very Loveline inspired because the storyline is legitimately school idols, um, groups competing against one another in a big epic competition called Loveline. Um, and it's really, really big in Japan. It's really big here. And are you referring to Love Live? Love Live. Sorry, not Loveline. Love Live. Okay. Um, I have seen Love Live. Okay. It's it's so cute. Okay. It is. I've only seen the movie um, mm. because I don't have a Crunchyroll and I don't have VRV anymore. Um, but I was able to find the movie on Amazon, the feature mm-hmm. film. And uh, I watched that and I was blown away. I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is a lot of characters. This is a lot of emotion. <laughs> um, and I watched a bunch of the music videos on YouTube. They have these wonderful, like, high-quality, like, 4K yes. clips of, like, the performances on YouTube and music videos. And, oh, so good. Not just from the show, but from, like, the visual novels and, like, the movie. And it's just, like, a whole bunch of stuff. So when I saw the rules for Super Pop Idols, I was like, oh, yes. This is, like... Love Life meets Sailor Moon all in one, and it was just really great. It looks like VRV doesn't have the original Love Live on there anymore. Mm. There's if a couple of them. There's like a yeah. This looks like the sequel one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some friends in the fandom that were kind of complaining uh, because the second one is like a retread of like the first one, even though mm-hmm. it was pretty good. They were just like, "Oh, it was good, but it wasn't original," and I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, Sometimes yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. True. Fair. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. It's it's hard to resist anime girls who are just so full of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so many emotions. I'd be careful with that. That's how Madoka Magica like fooled me. Uh, Yuki Yuna is a hero. Yuki Yuna is well. a hero is another one. Thank you for mentioning <sighs> that because I feel like that that anime does not get enough love. It doesn't. No. It just no. get the designs are great. The storyline is so dark. I haven't finished watching season two. I got halfway through season two. I haven't seen any of season two. Oh my gosh! So season two is broken into two parts. The first half is a prequel that tells the story of um, oh what's her name, the, the Togo. The yeah the one in the wheelchair. Yeah. It explains Togo. her whole backstory, like her old group and everything. And then the second half is a sequel sequel, which happens, which takes place after the events of season one. So they they split it in half. They give you like a little bit of both. And it's, it's really sweet. I watched all of part one. Like I had to, I had to know. I had to know the seat. Yes. I'm ready for more pain. You're ready for more pain. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they're video games too. Like that. That makes sense. Have entire side stories. Like side mangas side story mangas with like different teams like it's there's a lot going on yeah the the world of anime video games is so wild okay 
quick story about something that happened in my life, and then we're all back on you. Okay, okay, all right, all right. But not not last year, but the year before, my mom decided that everyone's presents had to be video game themed. Okay. Be- and usually when she themes presents, she themes them per person, but this year, everyone was getting video games. Okay. I don't play a lot of video games. Mm. I'm usually the person kind of sitting on the side watching and helping solve puzzles. Right. Which I love. But my mom (laughs) gives me this video game that you play on, I think, I think the Switch. Okay. Yeah, it's on the Switch. I think it's... Pantsu, no, 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 hold on. Girl, Galgun 2, that's what it's called. Galgun Gun 2. 2, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the cover, and there's a bunch of cute girls on them, and some <sighs> of them have really big boobs. Like, sure, it's anime, whatever, that happens. And then I turn it over to the back, which my mother clearly did not do. Oh, no. And it says in big letters, Pantsu Paradise. And I'm sitting next to my husband's wife, and I pull out my phone because I'm not saying this out loud in front of my mom. But I text them, and I'm just like, I'm pretty sure mom bought me a porn game for Christmas. <gasps> oh. And Maz looks at it and goes, oh, oh, she did. Oh, no. Oh, man. She bought it because, and I quote, you like that anime stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> And the weird thing about... I mean, the whole situation's weird. This Don't whole get situation me wrong. is weird. Was it a fun game, though? See, here's... That's the thing. I had to try to play it, because I had to know. Right. Like, she bought it. I had to know. Right, exactly. It is so hard. Oh, no! It is a porn game. It has no business being that hard. <laughs> is, it not, is it not a visual novel? No. No? No, you actually run around with a suction gun, getting rid of demons. And if you get far enough in the game, you can then use the suction gun to suction off girls' clothes. But I never got that far because it's so hard. <laughs> and I tried to get Mads to play it, and they're just like, honey, I can't play first-person shooters. And I'm just like, no. Well, I mean, there you go. I mean... Yeah. And I can say this on this podcast because I've tried talking to both of my parents about my podcast and they're just like, honey, we don't listen to podcasts. So oh, right. I know I'm safe. Yeah. Yeah. Because she still doesn't know she did this and I'm never going to tell her. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, refocusing. Refocusing. Getting my ADHD brain back on track. Did Yuki turn out? The way you kind of envisioned her when you started playing her compared to when you first made her for Glitter Hearts? Far more assertive. Mm. And um, far more assertive. And, and I think maybe it had something to do with the spotlight being all on me mm-hmm. and having to be proactive and just sort of the nature of a one-on-one game. And I feel that... And there was nothing in the character sheet that was preventing me from being more assertive i was trying to kind of like pull it back some towards the end but like we were having such a great time going back and forth and 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 interacting with the characters and and i um it definitely i imagined being more cold but then again that was for a game where i would already had my band you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and there wasn't uh i feel like the stakes putting together the team sort of brought out leadership qualities in the character that would not have existed in Glitter Hearts. I will admit I was very surprised when she went after Kelly so hard. <laughs> I just wanted it to happen. I was just like, it was very like, um, I was a goth in high school, but I was also an extrovert. So I, I kind of leaned in a bit more into like who I was as a goth teenager as opposed to like this sort of sundre gothic lolita trope idea that I originally had for the character when I when I made it as a glitter hearts character. 
And that was a lot of fun, you know, getting to bring that aspect of myself. I think this was the first game that I ever actually did that, where I actually played the kind of goth that I was in high school, as opposed to, uh, like, an ideal, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Were you an out teen goth? Yes. Or were you... Mm -hmm. I showed... I would show up somewhere around 13, about 14 or 15, you know, um, because of a combination of hanging out with gamers, because I had Red and Rice, um, I just sort of metamorphosized into this, like, art goth type of teenager, and I wore Doc Martens, and... We call them skinny jeans now, but back then, you know, black stretch jeans and were what we called them because it was the 90s. Nine Inch Nails <laughs> t-shirts, uh, flannel, because I was very, I was, even though I was goth, I was very influenced by grunge. You know, Kurt Cobain and Mud Honey and all of those, you know, old Seattle bands. I feel bands. like there's some crossover. No, there was definitely some crossover. I had two pieces of flannel that I used to wear all the time, and that was uh, a blood red one, and I, I specifically called it blood red. Um, and then I had a gray one, um, which matched perfectly with my black t-shirts, black band t-shirts, uh, leather jacket. I used to wear a leather jacket, um, that was gifted to me by a friend because teenagers have money for a leather jacket. Um, <laughs> I also used to wear my dad's pea coat because my dad was, uh, had been in the military and in the Navy and, uh, it was just very like, I listened to like all kinds of like alternative music listen to Nine Inch Nails I was one of those teenagers that unfortunately was obsessed with Marilyn Manson because um, I didn't know any better at the time <laughs> um, and I was really really big into the fashion and wearing black every day I gave my mother a heart attack she like people would ask me well why do you wear all black and I'm just all like I'm in mourning and like for who Someone dies every day in the world. <laughs> uh, that was a, that was what I sixteen year old me. And then the other thing was I dress how I feel inside. And I made the mistake of telling my mother that once, and she was like, "You feel empty," and it, terrified, like, and rightly so. But I was very cheerful. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the the joke of the perky goth from Dork Tower. Um, that was kind of who I was. Um, I was the one who would gather all of the other goth teens and kind of force them to sit together. And I'm like, oh, you're wearing all black. You should come sit with us. And we also like all black clothing. Yes. We also like all black clothing. And I was, uh, and I would just sort of like herd everyone together. And I would have friends that were parts of the other cliques because like I did theater and I was pretty smart. I was in some honors classes. And so I had friends that were in other groups. But mostly I was like the ringleader of the goth clique. Which is normally a clique that does not have a ringleader. You know? Um, but I got some of the most anti-social people to just sort of just sit with us. I remember there was this one kid from Belgium who I was really thought he didn't like anybody you know he didn't like speaking English he had moved to the country and was just really resentful of everything I became friends with his older brother who had adjusted better to the, to the move from Belgium and um, his older brother was so cool he was like a hippie guy and you know got me in all kinds of trouble And uh, <laughs> um, but like eventually my friend Amanda who was a little bit more punky than me she like listened to the misfits and you know, wore spike collars, and she was like, oh my gosh, oh god, what was his name? I, I don't know, it seems like Dimitri or something. She's like, oh, Dimitri's so interesting. I'm like, yeah, because Dimitri had started wearing all black and had grown his hair long. And she's like, he's really cool. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, he draws like pictures of decapitated corpses and glass and he plays the violin and I was like oh, he has to sit with us and like <laughs> the problem when you're like a 16 year old goth is that things that become like not are normally like red flags are like please come like 
<laughs> but he was the most antisocial person at school, and I got him to, if not talk to us, but, like, sit down and eat with us. I, I, I would like to say that I got him some friends, you know, because we were he was able to engage and we weren't all into things that irritated him. So that was fun. I wonder if that's just like a queer thing, just like, Oh, you're, you're tangentially similar to me. Come here and be my friend. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, there was kind of something that I kind of, uh, so, you know, the scene where Yuki like offered to make people dresses Mm-hmm. Okay, so that comes from uh, 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 an actual real-world thing. Um, every Halloween, I would uh, I would convince all of my friends that were, like, a part of other cliques, but, like, were friends with us. People that were either, like, fellow closeted Wiccans and <laughs> kids from drama club and, and band and whatnot, and they would all dress like goths for Halloween. And I would, uh, and I did this at like every high school I went to. I went to a bunch of different high schools because I moved around a lot in high school. And it was just like, for Halloween, I just convinced a bunch of people who were not part of the goth clique, who were friends of mine, to all dress like they were goths for Halloween. And this, and it, and it was just like an ocean of black. And it, it gave the administration a heart attack consistently, like... <laughs> every Halloween because it's one thing when you've got like oh like five or ten of them but then there's like 20 like all like coming down the hallway with their black lipstick and their black clothes and fishnets and Doc Martens and you know were you at a bigger school or a smaller school growing up it depends on the grade um I went to schools Mm -hmm. that were as big as like 4,000 students and I went to, and then I went to a high school that had like 400. So I got the 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 kind of I didn't get the big big city experience. Like I never went to high school in a place like San Diego where I live now, or New York mm. or anything. Um, but I did go to a high school in Norfolk, Virginia, in Southeast Virginia, which is pretty big metropolitan area. So I it, it just it really depended on like what grade I was in. But I've gotten the small town high school experience, which was rough. (laughs) I always went to small schools. Like, the elementary school that I went to was so small that it doesn't even exist anymore. Oh, wow. And your story about coming in with a sea of goths on Halloween just made me think of the year that I... Literally all I had on was like a little cat ear headband and these little rhinestone whiskers. Mm -hmm. And my math teacher was just like, you're at school. That's not appropriate. Take it off. On Halloween? Excuse! (laughs) On Halloween! I can't even. No. Oh my gosh. I remember uh, my first couple weeks when I was going to high school in Taylor, South Carolina, uh... Everybody thought I was from Los Angeles. That was the rumor going around. And I was like, what? And then it was like, oh yeah, you're just so cool and worldly and you wear all black and blah, blah, blah. So everybody was saying you're from LA. And I was like, I'm not from LA. I'm from freaking Norfolk, Virginia. Like, but thanks for the compliment. (laughs) In eighth grade, when my best friend since then, honestly, first moved into town, uh, he has a bit of a darker complexion than the majority white high school population and like this dark curly hair and every girl in my grade just went oh he's so dark and mysterious oh, oh. <laughs> which in retrospect was really gross you don't realize that when you're in 8th grade but that was real gross yeah it was but they hyped him up so much that nobody would talk to him. And then I went, I was just like, hi, I'm Ryan. I'm not popular, but I'm talking to you anyway. Were they reading Weathering Heights? Like, what were these girls doing? Like, I don't know. Oh, he's Like, I don't know. I it even. was something else. And then we were best friends and we're still best friends. And later he came out to his dad by... Well, it was a conversation about vacuums, and his dad was just like, God, we're talking about vacuum cleaners. How gay is that? 
And Derek goes, speaking of, Dad, I'm gay. <laughs> like, the arm flourish and everything. It's a good one. Oh, my God. I will have him on the show eventually. I will bully him into it if I have to. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but yeah, that was part of the... The, the whole, like, wanting to dress people up thing came from the kind of the, the Halloween thing. So, with Yuki. And being like, I can make you a dress. <laughs> I love that, uh, honestly. It was so cute. Yeah. Did I use the dresses or, like, Pokemon line? I don't think I did. That's something I uh, I got from an actual friend in the Lolita community mm. in L.A. I, uh, I asked them, I was like, what's the deal with these dresses? She's like, they're kind of like Pokemon. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you you like you like Pokemon cards. Like you want to get like the the best ones. You know, like you just collect them, uh, and they're special. And it was like, and something clicked in my brain. I was just like, oh, okay, this is not just like a. It, it is fashion, but it's also geeky. Like it's like the intersection of like nerdy and fashion. At least the Lolita scene in the United States is yeah. very like nerd meets fashion. And I know way too much about it. Like, just... Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I do want to put out an apology for being so behind on my Patreon. I've been kind of struggling recently, and I've been prioritizing getting you consistent episodes over using the Patreon. I will try to remedy that in the near future, but for now, here's another episode on time. Today I am going to show you yet another wonderful ad from our Be Gay Roll Dice Network for The Chosen Ones, and then we will hop right back into the show. Enjoy! Bye! Well, hello there, young adventurer. I've been waiting for you. We've met before, don't you remember? Ah, no worries. I'm quite forgetful myself. The other sparks are waiting for you. Leviath, Shuey, Theo, and Brandy. They've had such wonderful tales to tell. A truly marvelous story. I wonder which one of them will be the chosen one. Perhaps none of them will. Perhaps it will be you. The morning's coming soon. I have to leave now. Will I see you again? I sure hope so. Is a story really a story if there's no one to tell it to? Well, goodbye for now. Chosen Ones is a visual novel-style D&D podcast on YouTube that releases every Thursday at 1pm CST. Find us on Twitter at Chosen Ones D&D. Come adventure with us. Uh, if, I, if, I get, if we ever get a chance to do another, uh, another play episode, that would be something really fun to kind of explore, is the drama in the Lolita community, like... Have you ever heard of the Lolitists? No. Oh it yes. Does not surprise They're me. They're like elite, elite leader girls who like. Oh, do you have baby breast socks and accessories? Which are like, there's these particular labels and like it's all very like, and they have these tea parties. They're super shady. There's unfortunately a lot of body shaming in the community, because you know a lot of the dresses are done are for petite like sizes mm -hmm. um, but at the same time there's a lot of positive things because a lot of the designers from Japan are one particular designer from Japan like publicly uh, came out and was like I am in awe of American uh, Lolita fashion people because they make everything they sew it. They create it. They are artists. They make patterns. And I really respect that as a creator. Because the Japanese sizes are not... They don't... Those things don't come in American sizes. You can order from Bodyline, which I might name drop the next time I play Yuki, which is, uh, <laughs> kind of, which is based out of China. Um, mm. And Bodyline has bigger sizes. But everybody here in the United States... Uh, and I imagine Yuki, as as a Japanese-American, probably, like, that's the reason why I was like, oh, she sews and she makes her own stuff, because I, you know, I don't really imagine her as, like, super petite. I imagine her as maybe more athletic 
um, Mm -hmm. and having just to sort of make her own stuff and also being maybe a little, a little influenced by like Violet Tchotchke, you know, and, you know, a little bit of like drag influence in there. Like my characters to be three dimensional. Yeah. You know, it's so funny thinking about the negative parts of Lolita, considering like the roots of it, at least as far as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Like listeners, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But as far as I understand it, the essence of Lolita came from this idea of like, I don't have to be attractive to you men. So I'm literally going to dress like a doll and I'm going to wear the biggest skirt possible so that you can't get close enough to touch me. That, that That's, is, that is a big aspect of it. There's been several yeah. think pieces on feminist themes in Lolita fashion that to kind of combat this other ideal of like, sort of the stereotypical patriarchal ideal woman because like some of the things that you know like knowing how to sew and cooking dinner and being modest and but then like a lot of people were like wait a minute like a lot of feminists out there were like that are involved in the community were like let's pause and let's really ask some questions let's really examine this because we're talking about a fashion that does not center men at all so it's it's like it's sort of like a it's both things you know because everything is not always as it appears i like lolita fashion because it's cute at the end of the day like and i and i also like historical stuff and it draws a lot of you know the petticoats and there's like a bunch of like subcategories too a lot of the stuff that is like inspired that inspires magical girl is very like sweet lolita in terms of the pinks and the pastels um which yuki would never wear (laughs) she's like i don't i don't do that i don't think so (laughs) she wears like blacks with splashes of blue maybe purple she's like she'll sit down and have a tea party Maybe a dark pink for Valentine's Day. A dark, oh, mm, no, red velvet. <laughs> red Ooh, velvet. Like, like a deep, dark red velvet, like, you know, with some That's hearts. Good. Roses, definitely, yeah, pink. No. <laughs> no. I like how I even tried to preface it with dark. No, no, no. There, there is no, there, there is no pink in, okay, maybe, just, no, actually, now that I think about it, then there's no pink in Yuki's world, like, it's not, maybe, maybe pink underwear, like, as a treat, as a treat to herself, oh, I look so cute, like, but, mm-mm. that's, oh a, my goodness. that's about it, oh my goodness, I love it, I love it so much. What are the questions you have? I have a number of them. How do you feel your queer experience has kind of influenced your role play in different games? Early on. Uh, I know it's a doozy. You can thank Matt for that one. It's so I would say that my queer experience when I was very young like as a teenager when I started playing games on the regular with other people made me very open to playing three-dimensional female characters Mm -hmm. women characters which I ran headlong into some really ugly uh, misogyny because of that a couple of times content warning I, I had some really and mind you this is before safety tools were a thing this was before the x card it was it was mid 90s and you know i had characters that were assaulted i and this happened when i was like 15 just to give context i was like underage and i and i could not understand why i was being treated this way you know i you know privilege is a blinder you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, why are these other people like treating me this way? 
Like, my character just happens to be a woman. I don't see what the big deal is. And, um, you know, but I had a character assaulted in one game when I was 15. I played a one-shot with a bunch of people uh, at my local game store. And it was this cool, post-apocalyptic indie game called Aftermath. And when I asked afterwards, like, why that happened, they were like, well, it was your fault for playing a female character. And I was like, what? And that was actually kind of traumatizing. I had another campaign later that year. I had been invited to play Vampire of the Dark Ages. And I had created this super cool Spanish lord who was really cool and interesting and was kind of influenced by, um, like, Sean Connery's character from Highlander. It was, like, the first Spanish character I was creating. And it was, you know, and I had him all ready to go. And he was going to be on the path of humanity. And he was going to be an artist and a good person. And before I even started playing and showed a character sheet, I was, like, aggressively confronted by one of the players where they were like, well... You're going to have to take the flaw second-class citizen if you're going to play a female character. Which was actually a thing, because Old White Wolf could be absolute trash. Um, and I was like, yeah, it was it was a two-point flaw if you played a woman or a Jew. Ugh. That you had to take. Gross. I know. Absolutely gross. gross. In the name of historical accuracy. That's such a flimsy excuse to treat people like garbage. Yeah, it was just gross. And then, like, I looked at them and I was like, I... Because I already had the character done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I'm playing Carlos. He's a Spanish noble. And they were like, oh. Well, I was like, why did you say that? Well, well you always play female characters. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and that, like, my early experiences... Like I said, I was, like, very open to playing women characters, but I got, like, such ugly pushback. And then eventually, as I got older, I started to play actual queer characters um, and be brave about that. And I really... My queer experience, I have to say, has really kind of informed more so the games I play now than the ones necessarily I played then. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm playing a lot of very open, very queer positive games now. Um, I tried to make World of Darkness games queer positive when I could, which was a challenge. Exalted really helped because Exalted was very open and very queer positive. I would just kind of sort of like try to run stories and play characters that kind of celebrate difference and fight against struggle. But now I'm I'm having a really great time playing games like Monster Hearts, playing games like Grand Grignol, belonging outside belonging games, queer. Um, Victorian horror and um, mm-hmm. I'm able to bring a lot of my own queer experiences like in Grand Guignol they have this playbook called The Ward which is very um, it's very feminine leaning, it's very femme leaning in its construction and in its pick lists but I, uh, I made an Oscar Wilde character essentially mm-hmm. out of it, like a character he would write as opposed to like him and I, right. I, I made a deeply closeted, a, a homosexual Victorian nobleman mm-hmm. looking for the perfect wife. It was great. It was super fun to kind of, and like I got to, uh, I, I got very fortunate and got to talk to Luke, the writer, and they were like, that's perfect. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. So I, I try to take like my queer experience and I like, I look at games and I'm like, Sometimes I'm just sort of like, okay, this is sort of pushing me in this direction, but I mm-hmm. feel like I can look in between the lines and I'm going to push it in this direction instead. Um, and that's like one of the things that I've kind of been able to to work around. Creating worlds where homophobia doesn't exist is another thing that my queer experience has kind of informed in my gaming because I use lines and veils a lot now. Mm-hmm. 
What's that? uh, So lines and veils is a safety tool where lines are what you absolutely do not want in a game, period, red. Mm. Veils are, you want it to exist in the world, but you don't want to directly interact with it. And then you have highlights, which are things that you want to happen. Mm, Okay. I've seen things like that. I just hadn't heard it referred to it that way. That's cool. So one of the things I have been able to do is when people put homophobia or transphobia as a line, I've been like, I've been able to be like, okay, let me go back to all the times that I've been alone in my room and crying and like wishing for a better world. And let me make that better world for this player. I don't have to lean on trauma to create compelling antagonists anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people out there are of the attitude that lines and veils are, are restricting, but like they, like they said on that old episode of Daria, I'm going to date myself, sometimes when you give yourself boundaries when you're writing a story, it gives you more creativity. Mm-hmm. Because you have to figure out how to work around them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I think it did. Yeah. Uh, when you emailed me, you said you had uh, some projects that you were working on. Are there any that you want to promote? No, not right now because they're not done. Um, but I'm Fair more enough. than happy to talk about them. <laughs> yes, please do. And if they're closer to done when I actually get around to posting this episode, I can always link them. Yeah, so right now I have... I would say I have three solid ones. Mm. The closest to being done done... Uh, is it's not the one I'm least excited about. It's the one that I'm just... Mm, it's the one that's probably going to make me money, and uh, I'm not happy about why it's going to make me money. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's because uh, it's a fifth edition module. And originally, um, and I still have the original copy on the hard drive, uh, was inspired by Miyazaki and took place in Edo-era Japan. But I'm really poor, uh, and I, I sincerely do not have the extra money to hire a sensitivity reader. Um, mm-hmm. So I was inspired by Coyote and Crow, and I thought. And one of the things they talk about in they talk about on Asians Represent. I don't know if you listen to that podcast. Amazing podcast uh, by Daniel Kwan and is like kind of the spearheads it, and then he has like a, a team of other amazing uh, Asian American gamers that talk mm-hmm. about uh, representation uh, in media. And what was it called again? Asians Represent. Um, uh, he Asian. talked about, kind of challenged the idea that when you're writing a game scenario or you're like world building, could you tell this, is, is the culture important to the story? And if it's not, maybe don't use that other person's culture. Mm-hmm. So I sat down with the module and I looked at it and I'm like, I have a great story here. It does not have to be set in Edo era Japan. It is still a good story. But I didn't want to do anything like classic European either. I started doing some research on Taino folktales, who are the indigenous people of Puerto Rico where I'm from, who I'm descended from. And I thought, oh, I'm going for a feel. What if Hayao Miyazaki read a bunch of Taino folktales and decided to make an anime out of that. And that is Light of Hope, which is the module that I'm working on. Um, it is if Hayao Miyazaki read folktales of my of my people, and it's like his themes, but it's, it's my culture. That sounds rad. Yeah. Yeah. So I rewrote the whole thing, and now it's kind of expanding into its own setting. Um, I've created the island of Bori, and it has, I've kind of switched around the choices for, um, ethnicities, races, air quotes. Y'all can't see my air quotes, so I'm doing air quotes. Um, and... We announce our air quotes here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I have, um, I've switched a lot of things around, like, to make it more my culture, like... And actually presented some races that, for the standard setting, that aren't in the standard PHB, that aren't in your standard Dungeons & Dragons setting. For example, Aarakocra can be played, or like a, like a standard race, but they're not, they're, they're all parakeets. I love that. That's yes. so cute. Um, Kenku are also native to the setting, 
but they're uh, they're white-tailed crows. Because um, I did research to the, the flora and fauna that are native to the islands. Mm-hmm. So if there was uh, grunks as well, or coquis, which are our national uh, animal, which is a little tree frog that makes the coquis sound. So... Uh, Hector, I am slain. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, so I, I've done some, like, switching around. I've run... I did a couple of playtests in the old version, and then I've done one playtest in the new version. And I'm just, I'm polishing it up, and that's that's project one. And, you know, I just felt like I've done so much work on it, and, I, like, I really want there to be more Caribbean representation out there. Because mm-hmm. there just isn't, there isn't enough, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, the other projects that I'm making, um, I have a sleepaway hack. Um, which is a belonging outside belonging inspired uh, game based on J Dragon Sleepaway, but it's set in a barrio in Puerto Rico. It's called Night of the Chupacabra, mm-hmm. and that is about a community uh, family in a barrio in Puerto Rico dealing with the chupacabra coming in and terrorizing the neighborhood. And you play all of the uh, all these different. Uh, the playbooks are all based on like your position in the family or the community. So there's like the elder, um, which is like the matriarch or patriarch or thatriarch of the family. Um, patriarch. I they- love patriarch. Yeah, I just came up with that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Um, you play like the head of the family. You have the black sheep, which is actually loosely based on me, which is somebody who's like from the mainland and you know speaks english and only comes home to visit every now and then and is most likely queer you have like the gossip the la bochinchera which is like the town gossip you have and spiritu which is like the spiritualist you have the pastor who is like another spiritual leader and those are just like a, a few examples of the characters the playbooks that you can play and then all of the setting elements because it's GM-less, so everybody kind of splits up responsibility through portraying different setting elements, just like in Sleepaway. The setting elements are things like La Casa, the house, the bodega, the shop, uh, El, el Barre, the bar, the community bar, uh, La Iglesia, which is the community church. And these are all just like really like important things. And then instead of a lindworm, like you have in Sleepaway, uh, you have uh, La Chupacabra who comes and causes problems and terrorizes the community. And the whole point is to like survive the night essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was like a community horror uh, RPG, which is based on um, the Chupacabra actually came and terrorized my neighborhood in Puerto Rico. And my grandmother thought it was going to come for her. And it really annoyed my mother. Oh no. <laughs> like the Chupacabra is coming for me. And my mom is like, the chupacabra isn't coming for you. The chupacabra... My mom was like, if the chupacabra exists, it attacks livestock, mother. <laughs> no, it's gonna go... Mama made me sangre. You know, like, you know, it's going to kill me. It's gonna drink my blood. And So I just thought that that would be a fun game. That sounds like a fun game. Yeah. So I, I have a, said... I have notes on that. And then last but not least is yes. the one that is like 50% done that I really need to just sit down and finish. And that what is... What a mood, though. Oh, man. This one is... Um... So I watched Bridgerton. <laughs> and I like mainlined it. I've watched it like two or three times, actually. Because you do that thing where you're like, you have to watch the show and then you watch it with your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I uh, I bought a copy of Good Society, which came out in like 2017, which mm-hmm. is the Jane Austen role playing game, and it was it was a lot. It was a lot, a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> I was just like I there's like cards and eight phases to the game, and like it looks wonderful. And I watched like I was like I watched a let's play of it. Uh, oh, excuse me, an actual play. And I was like, this is great, but this is not what I want. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And then I realized, and then, like, I went into itch. And I was like, surely someone has made, like, a rules light GM list. Jane Austen, no? No? <laughs> and then, I, and, and then you know, like, Good Society came out in 2017, so that was, like, before uh, Dream Askew, Dream Apart, that was before Sleep Away, that was before any of the belonging outside belonging No Dice No Masters games came out, you know? And they were just, they were working in a very different framework at that time. And it's and, and Good Society is a good game. It's just, strangely enough, it's too crunchy for what I want. So I realized, well, I guess I'm going to have to write it myself. So I took Grand Guignol, which is set in Victorian era, opened a blank, you know, Word document, and just started typing away. So I have created The Social Season, is what it's called. I have about three playbooks done, four setting elements done, and it's all about queer uh, Regency romance. And I love everything you just said. Yes, yes. <laughs> and like the three playbooks I have so far, I have the playbooks all planned. It's just only three of them are written. Mm -hmm. uh, I have like the libertine, the ingenue, the second, which is all about either being like the best friend or like the second born. Oh, the mm -hmm. heir. The heir is the was actually the first one that I wrote. So it's like the heir, the ingenue. Um, I have the matron, and there is the second, the matron. Oh, and the clever one. Um, which leans into the tropes of Joe from Little Women, but also, um, oh, what's her name? The the smart one from Bridgerton. I'm totally... I haven't watched it, honestly. ...spacing on her name. But Joe from Little Women, like this sort of like... Or um, who else is really smart? And the... Um, Miss Bennett, to a certain extent, and Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. You know, um... Jane Austen herself in Being Jane. I don't know if you ever saw Being Jane with uh, the autobiographical Jane Austen movie that has um... Oh, oh no. What's her name? Princess Diaries. Uh... Anne Hathaway's character? Anne Hathaway, yes. Mm. Anne Hathaway plays Jane Austen in a biopic called Being <gasps> Jane. Did you not... Have you not seen it? I haven't seen it. I just remember that it exists and that I needed to watch it immediately. Yes, add that to yeah. But like the clever one is like based on that, like the idea of being the smartest person in the family. Um, and then one of the things that I did was, uh, like I said, it's very inspired by Grant Guignol. And the thing about it is, is when you're doing historical pieces, it's so one of the things they do in Grand Guignol is that they they lean into the gender tropes in mm. order to criticize and examine them. So that's what I'm doing with with uh, Social Season. So I've been trying very hard to make it as open as possible, but there's still some very gendered language and tropes, but they're supposed to be there to examine the genre and deconstruct the genre is the, is the purpose. I might ask Luke, I might ask them for permission to block quote them and their explanation that they have in Grand Union because they expressed it so, so much more eloquently. And that's actually become like a popular thing is reaching out to creators and being like, hey, you said this thing perfect in your book. If I block quote it and credit you, can I put this in my work? Um, so I might have to do that because Luke, they were much better at explaining it than I can. I'm doing, I'm doing my best. <laughs> so what I'm hearing and all of the cool stuff that you just told me is that you're going to send me links as soon as they become available. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've really taken this time over the panorama to just really believe in myself and start working on these things as opposed to just having them floating in my head. Um, I've had a lot of great people in the, in the indie queer community push me and encourage me and inspire me and just you know it's just a matter of like putting it out there and I mean I mean this is being on the show is kind of a part of that you know I, re I really want to be a part of the community and engage with it 
you know, we've all kind of been like sort of thrust, had capitalism kind of thrust on us, you know, and there's this part of me that is like, it would be really nice to be able to like eat and pay rent on this thing that I spend hours and hours and hours on all the time, uh, making worlds and uh, putting myself out there. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there's a little bit of a, like, a Rachel Berry kind of thing. Like, I need applause to live. You know? I want to yeah. share this stuff with folks and more than just, like, five people at a table. But those yeah, are my... I get that. Yep, those are my projects. Uh, where can people find you? People can find me at Keiichi Okami. K-E-I-C-H-I-O-K-E. A M I. And that is on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and I'm Hector Reyes on Facebook. But Facebook's more for like people I know. Mm-hmm. So, well, Twitter, Instagram, and, and TikTok are for the world. The world at large. Yes. Would you like? to share your email as well if people want to reach out to you yeah, or not. Nah. Yeah, yeah, it's also my Yahoo. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. All right, I will put that all in the episode notes and just in case you, darling listener, don't have time to write that down because you're in your car, which is often when I'm listening to podcasts. Yes. Uh, and, and like I said, like I'm open to playing games. Um, you know, I'm open to like be on podcasts. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm, a, I'm an open book, you know. I'm just, I want to engage. I want to be a, uh, with the community. I want to put myself out there. Just from talking to you over today and the last time we talked, you're also just like this really warm, genuine person. And I'm really glad that I've gotten this time with you. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Um, yeah. I hope we get to game again soon because I had a really great time. All right. One more question for you before we let you go. Sure. What advice do you have for queer folks who want to get into TTRPGs? Oh, um... And I ask everybody this. Uh, I would... Oh. On the spot. Put you on the spot. Uh, game with people you feel comfortable with. Try and see if you can find either through the internet, um, other queer gamers, or, you know, if you are a person of color, a group of, uh, other people of color, because... Sometimes everyone in the room being queer doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be comfortable, if that makes any kind of sense. Uh, we've mm-hmm. had some... I'm on a I'm on a all-person-of-color, very queer-positive, like, Discord. And um, sometimes, even if everyone in the room is queer, if it's all white faces, it's still uncomfortable. Or if it's all male faces, you know, try, try and find some... Um, Everyone's comfort level is different. Sometimes everybody everybody being queer isn't the magic key you think it is. If that makes sense. It does. It to to kind of summarize, I think what you're driving at is find the right room for you. Exactly. Find the right room for you and and, and don't necessarily assume all queerness is what you need. If that makes any Mm -hmm. kind of sense because some people need what people need is based on their intersection you know and Mm -hmm. sometimes it changes from day to day stretch your horizons like mixed groups are great (laughs) yeah i i think that's great hector thank you so much you're welcome and thank you listeners for being here uh join us next time on the game is afoot and I don't know what I'm releasing after this, so it's going to be a surprise to me, just like it's a surprise to you. Bye. Bye. have a lot of stuff to plug here at the end the twitter the patreon the instagram but today i just want to tell you all to take care of yourselves it's been rough out there 
and I love you all and want you to see tomorrow. If you do ever need somebody to reach out to, I am here. And there are also many, many hotlines for you to reach out to, but I'm not going to list them all off here. I think I'll be putting them in the description. It's just something that's been on my mind. Have a good one, and we'll catch you next time. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.